Welcome. Pleased to have you join us. Uh, don't adjust your sets if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, you can see my hideous face uh, because this is going to be a little bit different. Um, if you've been keeping up with the podcast, you'll know that we started uh, a couple of short years ago doing kind of reviews of actual episodes and hit or miss uh, various things in the Trek universe. But we are expanding. You'll have noticed that we've started doing Eagle Moss product reviews. Uh, and hopefully, if you're watching this, you will have seen that we did a little special episode with a review of the Strange New Worlds pilot and just our spoiler-free thoughts on that. Uh, and so this is going to be the first in a whole new range of things that we're doing, uh, which is going to be interviews with people from around the Trek uh, cosmos, shall we say. Um, before I go any further, I will introduce my co-host, DK, who's once again here with us. Hi, DK. Hiya there, Mike. And for the purpose of the listeners at home, be thankful you cannot see my hideous face. <laughs> yes, we'll have to just imagine he looks like Chris Pratt under the mask, I guess. But uh, I, I, yeah. I can deal with that. <laughs> well, let's not be too sure. But yeah, um, so as I say, this is going to be the first in what will hopefully become a kind of an ongoing thing. No, no scheduled timings or anything, but whenever we can throw you some good interviews. And we've been able to land a bit of a coup, a bit of a doozy for our first interview. Uh, we are going to be joined in a few minutes by... Uh, Mr. Dave Blass, uh, the Emmy-nominated production designer, who's worked on various things like Constantine, Preacher, uh, Justified, but most importantly, perhaps for our purposes, uh, he worked on the second season of Star Trek Picard. He's responsible for the fleet of ships, at least in part, that you saw, uh, for redesigning, again, with other people, the new Stargazer, uh, various props and things. And uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be, because it's a treasure trove. Um, so, yeah, we are going to throw over in uh, just a few seconds to that and uh, introduce you to Dave Blass and hopefully get talking about uh, Star Trek Picard and his career in general and hopefully it makes for a good episode so take it away other me <laughs> massive fans definitely and uh, massive geeks so very appreciative of all of the uh, easter eggs and bits and pieces that you, uh, you spoiled us with in that second season so and think yeah. about there's probably dozens that you never saw so it's a it's a good fun oh thing. yeah I'm looking forward to going back and finding them when I get the Blu-rays, though, and I can freeze frame and stuff. So, well, yeah. we put the stuff that never actually gets in the show. You're like, wait, you didn't see oh. that whole half of the room, and you know. So I see. It happens. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, what we did get was very good, so uh, appreciate that. And it's obviously it's very good to see a, a fellow fan working on these shows as well, so you can tell the passion's there. So that's good. Um, awesome. Well, um, we're just, we've done a little intro and everything already, so we're ready to just get um, jump straight in with some questions, if that's, uh, if that's all right with you, yeah? Fire away. Awesome. Uh, the first question um, is going to be from my co-host, DK. Uh, so, DK, do you want to fire the first question at uh, Mr. Blass? Sure. Hi, uh, Dave. Yeah. Okay? Yep, great. Nice one. I ask, was there any particular can recall that made you want to work in Hollywood? And what took you from working under Roger Corman's wing to Star Trek, would you say? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, early Star Trek, I mean, I grew up with it. Uh, I, you know, I was born in 68, so it's like Star Trek has always been in my life. Uh, and watching it on TV, and it's just the idea that someone got to create those things. And unfortunately, in that time period, there wasn't this behind the scenes thing that we have now where everyone knows that there's people who actually get that's their job to create uh 
the cinema and everything. You just sit there and look at this. Oh my God, that's so amazing. Look at these people. Uh, and it wasn't until Star Wars came out. Uh, and again, uh, sorry, I'm a fan of both franchises. Um, no, no, that that's fine. They had these, yeah, they had these uh, behind the scenes things and they showed all of the people uh, creating this stuff. And I was like, wait, you can do that? There's people, who, and I'm like, that just really uh, excited me. And I remember, uh, I think I'm like my 17th time of watching Star Wars, uh, clocking the, I'm trying to figure out who these people are that get to do this. And I clocked the the uh, the name Joe Johnston and he was the art director on Star Wars. Uh, I think, well, actually I think it was Empire, but uh, I was like, oh, art director. He's, that's the guy I want to be. I want to be uh, Joe Johnston. Um, and funny enough, I, uh, I ran into him at the premiere for uh, Captain America and uh, he was there and, and no one was paying attention. So I'm like, oh my God, I got, got to finally actually go. And I, I went up and talked to him. I said, you know, thank you for your inspiration and, you know, doing this. And he's like, dude, don't blame me for this. It's like, <laughs> uh, he's such a wonderful uh, guy. And then I talked to him for a bit and then I have a friend who's a mutual friend. And I, you know, I just, at, at that point I had been working on a bunch of different things. But it turns out that uh, that Joe was a big fan of uh, a show I did, Justified, and then he found out that he did did that, and he uh, sent me a copy of his uh, Joe Johnson sketchbook signed. He's like, "Oh my God, you do Justified? I love that show!" And I'm like, "That's uh, such a great thing." So I think that that was really the the where it started, and then uh, there was a lot of uh, roads to get there, and eventually I uh, ended up at Corman, and that was just at the time it's just you know people always ask you know how do you get your foot in the door in hollywood it's it's very much there is no one way there is no path to uh to hollywood so at at that point in time that was a well-established well this is what you do because so many people uh from james cameron to bill paxton and all the you know all these uh, talented people had come out of corman i'm like oh okay i'm gonna try that and and that for me worked out well all right um it's cool uh yeah so um I, I wanted to get a bit specific with my first question if that's okay um and it's uh, yeah. i have to ask the big question basically which is um what was it like working on designing a new uss stargazer uh, and working with legends like uh, drexler and okuda and uh, how did that break down in terms of like who was doing what especially working i'm presuming remotely over over zoom and stuff uh how how what was it like it was frightening it was just like you're sitting there going, oh, I, you know, because there's the worst thing of, you know, following your dream and, and then not getting to do what you set up to do. It's getting to follow your dream, getting to do what you wanted to do, because that was my dream. I wanted to go to Hollywood and do Star Trek. And here I am getting to do it. I'm like, damn, what am I fucking up? <laughs> um, so, it's like, you know, it's that thing of like, here, here's, here's the ball. You know, it's like it's your game and whatever. So I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough. And I think that that's one of my great gifts is that, you know, when I'm designing a team, I'm like, well, let's find the best people to surround yourself with and then collaborate with those people, listen to those people, empower those people, and then uh, kind of create this hive mind thing, uh, not to go Borg on us, but to, to, to sit there and do that. So when, we, when I started the show, um, John, John had worked on season one. Um, and you know, I started working with him and, um, uh, and then the other, uh, set designer, Scott Schneider was, was on. And then we were coming in at the, at the beginning and there was no Stargazer, uh, at the beginning of, uh, pre-production, 
there was no ship. We're not going to be on a ship. Not going to happen. I'm like, okay. And I told the producers, I'm like, uh, but if that changes and we end up going on a ship, I need a bigger boat. I mean, I need more people. I need more time. We need, need more time. And that was kind of going into uh, the COVID world because initially they go back in time on La Serena. Uh, and that was all. So we we started prep in early January of 2020, and this is before COVID. And then it just started spiraling into a bunch of different directions. And um, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Yeah, we need a new ship." And it's like, "Okay, I need." But at this point, Doug Drexel's not available. Mike Akuda's not available. Mike's on uh, on um, for all mankind. Doug's on Orville. Uh, and everyone else in the galaxy is is taken. So uh, that at that point, I had John, and John and I started riffing on it and coming up with ideas. And then I started reaching out. I'm like, who is available? And we were limited by the uh, by the studio to only hire people from America because uh, a lot of the other guys that I wanted yeah. to work with were in Canada. So I'm like, and that that literally that little impetus of like okay, I need, you know, more things. And it's like, and then you started, and I had some amazingly talented uh, concept artists available, but they weren't Starship guys. And I guess, you know, and as anyone knows, there's a big difference between a Star Wars ship and a Star Trek ship or a oh, yes. Star, you know, yeah. Star Trek ship and any other, you know, an alien ship. And and it's that thing, it's like you give people the thing and they're like, they start designing this stuff and you're going, have you ever watched Star Trek? Um, and again, these are very talented guys. It's just they did they, so. Then that literally prompted me to start going. I need more Starship guys. Who has Starships? And I started looking around, and that that decision brought me to the Star Trek Online people, where I'm going. Oh, here's all these talented guys who are designing Star Trek ships on the regular. What do we do here? And that was even before we had a giant fleet. And we needed all that stuff. So that kind of. Uh, brought me to uh, Thomas and that and Hector and that team. So then for a while they were involved and they were, uh, and again, this was in the COVID world and we're all trying to figure out how are we going to make this work because they're working on online, but we all want to do it and it's going to be cool. Um, so we, we did that. But then when, um, uh, when COVID hit and that shutdown hit, that just kind of re that changed everything and everyone was sitting at home going, we're bored. And I'm like, anyone want to work on a starship? <laughs> and, uh, and Doug came over and uh, Mike Akuda, cause that was my first thing. I reached out to everyone who had been disenfranchised over the years and said, Hey, I'm doing Star Trek. I like you guys. Um, let's find a way to, to make this work. And, um, and, uh, there was no, no pushback on it. Wasn't like it went and said, Oh, don't bring him back. It's like, I think that people had, had moved past them to the point of like forgetting that they were there or whatever. So, um, so then we brought in Doug and then, you know, all of a sudden we're combining because John is phenomenal, but John work is strictly a 2d. Um, and he still works in by hand, mostly uh, his, his concepts yeah. are and just next level brilliant, brilliant, which was amazing for the first month because he was, the next door over for me. So I would like literally walk into his office and sit and watch him work and, and fanboy on him. And then when he left the room, I'd steal his blue line <laughs> sketches. Um, but then when COVID hit, everyone was working from home. So then Doug was able to come in. So then Doug would translate John's 2D into 3D. And then we'd all sit down and, and 
you know, what do you think about this? What and then so Doug would make a change, John would make a change, would look at them, I'd make some judgments, I'd do some sketches and say, what do we do? The just simple stuff from um that like Doug would do things like the saucer. It's like we sat there and say, okay, we got the Enterprise E, which is a very elongated, we got the D, which is elongated in a different direction. We've got the the classics around um saucer section. Where where does our world fit in that? And it's just we went dun, 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 and played around with it, uh, and then all the different variations. So John had come up with two really cool variations on um, on designs on Stargazer. One of which sparked my interest because the where the saucer section was, the area, the engineering section behind it was raised up a little bit higher. So that when you were looking out the observation lounge, you'd see the, the ship out the back. Because normally you just see space. Yeah. And and it was like, oh, yeah. okay, well, that would be interesting because we could we we're trying to figure out ways to cost effectively do stuff, but every time we add a green screen outside of a window, people would freak, oh my God, it's gonna cost a billion dollars. Um <laughs> what if we did like a even like a, a backdrop like we would do in, in um in regular movies? It's like it's a building across the street, except it's the back of the ship. And that was our initial idea with a little bit of projection up in the corner. And then we eventually brought in Todd Marks and he's like, no, I can just project the whole thing in a Starfield. And then we uh, we tweaked it accordingly. So everyone liked that concept. But, you know, it, John and Doug primarily did the exterior. Then we had other people doing the interior. So it, it's a massive thing when you're, and then the coordination of it, because it's like, it, you know, it's one thing if everyone's sitting in the same room and putting their drawings up on the board, everyone can go, okay, this and this, but really I'm the, you know, I'm more like the conductor playing the orchestra going, okay, this has to be this and this all has to match. And so while they're doing the exteriors, I'm working on the interiors with other guys and then working on physical construction of things like the Chateau. And so it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. So, but it, but it was, for me, it was like, and you will see this more in season three, um, uh, you know, as I was able to bring in more people, I mean, Mike Okuda was only, even though, uh, he was integral, he was only on season two for a very short period of time. We, uh, he gave us a massively detailed, uh, breakdown of L cars, uh, that then twisted media took over, but he was, he was on, um, uh, for all mankind for 90% of the time. So he was just able to give, give us a little bit of time and then going into season three, he was retired. He, he's like, you know, I, I finished all, for all mankind. I'm retired, and I'm, I'm done. And I'm like, are you really done? It's like, you know, you're like the Tom Brady. It's like, we're gonna pull you out of retirement for one last go and, and <laughs> work yeah. that where he he came out. And uh, unf and unfortunately, we were not able to bring Denise on, and she is so talented and such an amazing person. We in season one, there was apps, there was not actually a graphic designer on Star Trek Picard, which I find stunning um so budgetarily the idea of bringing on uh jeffrey mandel and mike akuda was like oh we went from having no graphic designers to two graphic designers uh and then it became you know Al alan kobayashi came on and then it, it became three and four so it became quite <laughs> a but uh, you know again we needed a bigger boat to get everything done so but my thing was you know we reached out to mike we reached out to uh, Michael Kuda, we reached out to Doug, we reached out to uh, Rick Sternbach, which we used some of Rick's artwork. And there's a, a fun little design in season three that he did that had never been seen that we brought to life. And, you know, we let everyone know it's like, 
hey, the, the, the shop is open. We want to work with you. Um, uh, uh, Tim Earl worked with us and uh, just a lot of, a lot of people uh, came out of the woodwork to, to say, okay, yeah, let, let's, uh, we'd like to do Star Trek again. And uh, we made it, made it a good place for them. That's awesome. I think as fans, I definitely, well, I'm speaking for myself as a fan, I definitely appreciated it. And I could see the kind of um, the influence, like you said, of people like Michael Okuda on the L cars and uh, the various ship designs, everybody from, as you said, Johnny mm -hmm. to yourself and uh, the others you were working with. So that's awesome. Um, DK, sorry, did you yeah. have your next question? I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm, I know you hinted at, uh, at the season three thing. Part of me is screaming, I want to know what it is. But uh, with regards to the uh, no the design, work, yeah. no, with regards to the design work, you've obviously been involved in uh, several shows based on existing properties. How much leeway are you allowed? Were you allowed to develop your own thoughts, or do you have to stick to pre-existing designs or what is on the printed page as much as possible? I no, I I, I think that you know um, different producers are different things, and. Uh, for the intellectual properties that I've done, I've done things like the boys and Constantine and preacher and things of that nature. Um, you know, different producers run different, different things. And some are less visual. They want you to, you know, show them 10 ideas and they'll pick one of them. Uh, we had, uh, you know, one big pitch meeting with uh, secret hideout and uh, Alex Kurtzman, where we showed them the, the, uh, the stargazers and, and kind of went walked him through what we had planned on doing, and and then you know it, again I, I think I've shared a lot of it on uh, on social media the previs where we do walkthroughs and illustrations and that stuff would go out every week you know if not multiple times a week the producers like what what does it look like and then also coordinating with all the other departments um, you know like all the integrated lighting all the shiny floors that's you know the cinematographer saying this is the stuff we want we have to have it and. Uh, and, you know, it's that thing of going, okay, well, showing them literally, it's like, we want, uh, you know, a ribbon of light going around the window. We want a ribbon of light here. We want to think, and then doing a rent, sending it to the concept guys. Okay, here's the notes from the DPs. They want this. We want to put a light here. We want a lens flare light here. Um, so then it, it's a lot of collaboration on that thing. And you win some battles, you lose some battles. I mean, uh, I don't think it was never in my, my brain to put, the carpet on the bridge, uh, <laughs> you know, it, you know, but it was like, it was not that I didn't think of it. It's just, it's like, okay, I get it, but it was, you know, I also wouldn't have gone with the shiny floor. I would have gone more of something uh, like a tactical, you know, like something more matte, more textured, like a, you know, a, a space. And I, I kept on you know, saying, you know, terms like I want space diamond plate. I, you know, it's like something like that, that would be, uh, that it has some texture that has some reality to it so that if you're on a spaceship that's gonna um, but again you know I think the Berman Trek had a very definitive um, design feeling to it the Herman Zimmerman uh, and his team did an amazing job and it all has a cohesive look and I think that it's um, I think it, it, it's gonna be hard for people uh, doing uh the Alex Kurtzman version of Trek, not to do that because they have a certain design aesthetic as well. So they like it glossy, like they like it shiny. And and yeah. again, that's their choice. And I think that uh, the Stargazer looks uh, amazing. And I think that uh, we expand on the uh, the season three stuff uh, quite a bit. And uh, as we are not tra time traveling, we're all in uh, our prime timeline and uh, yeah, doing cool. that. So it's, it's going to be very exciting. That's cool, right? Awesome. Yeah, I, I really love the design of the Stargazer. Um, 
uh, obviously that's a completely new build the stargazer it's um although it is based on an existing design but i noticed that you did bring in as you were already mentioning a lot of the star trek online chips that you were able to make canon uh, and you also you worked with a lot of existing designs whether it be like the akira or the sovereign or the the lunar class for the first time in live action um, so what mm -hmm. was it like bringing these assets that had only been seen in like two dimensions i guess uh, and making them part of like this three-dimensional fleet yeah well, it, it got into a, the, the, the idea of um, what's called synergy, and, and it hit me when, once I started working with uh, Thomas and Hector at Star Trek Online, talking with, um, with Ben over at Eagle Moss. I'm like, guys, we got to get all on the same page, and we got to do all these things where we're like, you have all these different groups that aren't talking. And, and I'm like, if the, if the Star Trek Online world takes place in the same time period, in the same world, as Picard, why aren't we using the same ships? Why aren't what? Why you know they're using our ships? Why aren't we using some of their ships? And and then what happened to all these other ships in the fleet and the whole idea? And and again, um, I, I I don't want to speak to the uh, the Zhenghe fleet and that whole uh, situation, but I'm like, you know, we want to do a Star Trek thing, and then you know, if, if there's a cost-effective way to do this and to to wrangle this, we should find a way to do that and then also bring all these ships because, you know, when I started the show, I, you know, I was reaching out to to Ben at Eagle Moss and he sent me out a whole case of ships and I have all these cool things. I'm like, I want to see what's been done, what's been done before so that we aren't copying something without knowing it. Because again, you know, someone like John Eves has been doing this for 25 years. He will often start drawing something and not realize that it's be based on something he's already drawn before or riff, riffing off that. And, and again, I wanted our ships to not feel like discovery, not feel like, um, you know, some other show, but they need to feel like an extension of, uh, you know, and that was always my thing. It's like, we need to not reinvent the wheel. I want to make it look like this is nemesis 20 years later. So it's like, what, you know, what do you, what would be on a ship and uh, that would be the same thing. And again, started with like some of the big doors, the, uh, the, you know, hexagon shaped doors. Uh, I said doors in my house hasn't, haven't changed in 20 years. Why would they change in a starship? Why, you know, what things would stay the same? And, you know, we would look at the, the enterprise E and, and go, okay, well, how do we evolve that rather than change that? What, you know, what would be the next evolution of it? What would be the, you know, the thing and also you know the understanding of the design aesthetic so the same thing with the ships it's like well we have the the you know the sovereign class it's still be around there'd be sovereign there'd be ross class there'd be uh akira's so it's like these you know and again it's also in in the budgetary world because it's already been established with canon it's like they didn't have the money to build new models every week so they would use you know the original series movie uh things you get the bird of prey well the bird of prey has been around for 100 years now and all these other ships have been around for for you know centuries so it's like we, we've established because of budget that these ships last a long time um so there's no reason not to go and find these ships and and also because uh the online people have done such a beautiful job uh updating them and designing them and working on them uh i just didn't have the the time manpower or bandwidth to to give to all those ships i, I was you know focusing on the the hero ships that we had to do the uh, the stargazer and the uh the board ship and, and and whatnot so it was that thing of going oh here's a gift makes a lot of sense solves a lot of problems you know the, you know make the main thing the main thing awesome. yeah, fair enough. um gk did yeah. you have another 
Yeah, I was going to say, as a, as a player of uh, Star Trek Online, it was a, a big treat to see them on screen. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was my thing. It's like you, you get a lot of people who are, you know, they have a Gagarin or, or one of these ships, and it's like, how cool is that? It's like, I, you know, here I have the, and that's one of the things I just, I went the simple route, which is Eagle Moss, which are your most popular ships? Star Trek Online, what are your most popular ships? Put the most popular ships. I'm like, it, is it fan service? 100%. But it's also there's a reason that those ships are popular. They're well designed. They're cool looking. You know, and, and so I'm like, okay, and you know, and they 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 harken back to the, the what people love about the show. I'm like, this is an easy solution that solves a lot of problems. So I, I, you know, I think again when when you say fan service, it sounds like a negative negative thing. I'm like, I don't know, make people happy in a very simple way. So I think that that fleet uh, that you see in in the first episode and then in the finale was a very simple way to make a lot of people happy. And I'm like, I think that, that if you can do that and not mess with things and also it helps things. And I'm like, I, I, I think that that's a big win. Yeah, It helps world building. Definitely. I think is what people, yeah. people underestimate that because it does, it, it helps the thing feel more real. If, if it looks like something logically that would take place after nemesis, as opposed to just a random ship you've dropped in out of nowhere, I guess. hundred percent. So, you know, and again, I, I think that, the reason that Star Trek exists is because of the fans. I think we've seen that over the, the, the last 40 years. And the fans are playing the online game. If you can empower those people and encourage those people and bring them in and say, here, here, do this thing. And it was such a simple thing. I mean, it's like people who don't know ships and everything, they don't care. They're like, okay, they're ships. But people who do, you know, oh, my God, that's a Nova class ship. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you know, and you know, and just it was just a simple thing for me to reach out to to Sean, who designed the uh, the Luna class Titan, and just say, hey, you know, we want to use your ship, and hey, let's uh, let's let's have you design something new. So we brought him in to help on the uh, the World Razor there. And again, not a big deal for me to just go throw someone a bone, but I'm like, he's a talented guy, he's passionate, and and that's what I was looking for because I think I can I have a lot of talented people, but if you don't have the passion for Star Trek. Uh, it's not something that can be, can be taught. And, uh, you know, it's like something like working with, with Doug Drexler or, or, or any of the online guys, you don't need to tell them where the phaser strips go. You know, they're yeah. going to tell you. And again, yeah. I'm smart. They're smarter. So I'm, but I'm smart enough to hire the guys who are smart. Uh, and that's the, the, the great thing about them. So. That's brilliant. I was going to say the, uh, Obviously, we're we're big fans of the design work here, but we understand. I mean, I've seen that on social media, you're putting together a book on the art of the show. Any idea when we might see that in stores? Is it going to be season two, or are you waiting for season three to come out? Or uh, I'm putting it. I I, re it's fun. I reached out to the book people at the beginning of season two, and I said, "Hey, I'd be interested in working with you guys on on a book on the art, art of Picard." And um, yeah, and that way I could do if I if we want to do this, I can be interviewing people as we're doing the show and putting it together as we're as we're doing it, and then we can do a final edit, and then it would be done by the end of season three, rather than we start thinking about it. And everyone's like, "No," I'm like, "Well, but," and they're like, "No," I'm like, "No," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll shut up then." And then uh, and that's where it's at. And then I'm like. Um, okay, and I'll start sharing stuff, uh, and then people are like, oh my god, concept art, and I think it, it it becomes one of those things that people don't 
wanted, you know, like a book on that. It's like, I'm going to end up doing it myself. And then someone's going to go, uh, yeah, we want, we want to do it. And I'm like, here it is. It's done. So, uh, I did a, uh, I did a show called preacher. Um, and they did a book, uh, of the art and making of preacher and they didn't call me, interview me or ask me to be involved and used all my photography, all my, oh my like, whoa, whoa. And yeah, never even heard about the project until someone sent me, uh, sent me the, the book. And they're like, anyway, we can get you to sign this. I'm like, what is it? And they're like, it's the making a preacher book. I'm like, never heard of it. So, um, yeah, I'm putting it together. So, because, you know, I think that that way it gets done properly. And, uh, but you know, and that was, uh, yeah. So again, whether it comes to, to be, I'm still going to have it put it together. And then, you know, it's like, uh, if, if they end up hitting me up, then they'll have a, a, a completed piece, but it would be after because Picard three seasons, uh, there's no reason to do it be between season one and two. Uh, it would probably be a, you know, a whole thing on, on the art of the, the series. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I would love to see something like that because I'm loving all the things you've been sharing on social media um, and things yeah. like um, the, the sort of, well, the, the new ships and it looks like they're already on like a plaque and it's got the little logos and everything on it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, just to have like a high a high definition version of that in a book, I think I, I would love that. It would be a very much a Futurama take my money situation. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. it seems like a miss, uh, like a you know, complete no brainer. But, uh, you know, but yeah, well, it. <laughs> A lot of these things, they're very niche markets and, you know, they get to run the numbers of, but also we're in a world where, you know, companies can print up just as many as they need. It's not one of these things where they need to print up, you know, 50,000 in order to get a run. You know, now we do short run books and things of that nature. But again, it's, uh, I don't think for me, I don't think anyone's going to knock until the, you know, uh, season three, uh, again, because it's such a, um, a big big endings uh season uh you're gonna want right. to include all those those bits in it so oh. i haven't really been pushing it i've just been compiling it and, and such Oof, i'm loving all these teasers for season three but <laughs> fair enough yeah <laughs> right so, <laughs> give it to me uh, now yeah well it, it, it's hard because you know it's like you know when when you're working on something i mean we were working on uh season two and season three for almost two years so mm -hmm. For, for that amount of time, you know, as, as uh, someone who's in the industry, you're seeing everyone share all their stuff that they're working on and all these other things. And I'm like, and they're like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm on Picard. And they're like, oh, is, is that ever coming out? I'm like, shut up. It's like, it's coming out. It's coming out. <laughs> uh, and then, um, and then you know, the, the it was literally the week that the show premiered, uh, we wrapped season three. So it was within a very short amount of time. It's like you go from, you know, that thing of, normally you can be on a show and, and the show's airing and you're working with the same crew and everyone's excited. You know, there used to be that live tweeting thing that we do, but literally uh, two years of finishing working on the show and then the show premieres and we, like everyone's gone and you're like, Oh, I guess, you know, so we, it wasn't a, a, a great time to share with everyone and we didn't have that kind of celebration moment of getting to see, uh, you know, everything together. So, but it's, you know, it, I, again, season three is amazing. I love season two, um, and season one is is great. So I mean, I I think with the fan base, it's it's challenging because there's a world now, especially on Twitter, where um, you know it's great that people get a voice. Anyone has a voice, but the negativity tends to get amplified across all 
uh, things, yeah. whether it's politics or or fan bases and, th and things of that nature. And I've made it a point uh, to engage with people who don't like space. I'm like, hey, if you don't like it, that's fine. I can completely understand it. It's like, there's a lot of stuff I don't like, but don't be mean. It's like, you can say, oh, that sucks. I'm like, okay, you get an opinion. I disagree. And, um, but what do, what do you, what do you not like? What do you think? And then on some things I can sit there and go, yeah, okay. Maybe you have a point, maybe you don't. And, and, but I think being rude to people, being rude to you is the wrong way. It just makes people do that. I, you know, with so many of the people I've, I've tried to engage with them, I'm like, Hey, what do you like about the show? What do you not like about the show? Um, because you know, any show that I watch, I could sit there and go, eh, that's a thing or, and, you know, and I'll be in the guy in the meeting and says, Hey, why don't we do this? And this is a, you know, a thing. And then everyone looks at me like, shut up. But I still say it because, you know, I'm trying to make a better Star Trek show. Yeah. I think we appreciate having that voice in the group, to be perfectly honest, as fans, like I said, because, uh, yeah, it makes a world of difference. It does just to, even if it is just a little geeky thing for maybe a niche audience. But, uh, yeah, speaking of speaking of which, and uh, just removing uh, the conversation away from spaceships to a slightly smaller area, um, you obviously worked on a lot more things like interiors and props and things. And uh, mm -hmm. when I saw episode two and saw that um, General Picard room, which must have been like hog heaven for you. <laughs> How did you decide sort of what to put where, whose skulls was going to be there and what kind of ideas were going to go into that room? Uh, we, we we started out, it was actually, that was my idea as scripted. It was armor. And nice. uh, we walk into the room and, you know, there was like suits of armor. And I was like, okay. Uh, because two things, I'm like, I was looking at things from the what's going to be coolest and what is going to be... Um, cost effective because you know i i you know we have a budget i'm sitting there going okay we need to create 12 custom suits of armor for all these different races and they're going to be really unique and then i'm like oh. and, and and but and but we've never seen them before so it's like what's the i i go i we did and that's where if you look at the room there's the cardassian um breastplate and we're like okay well we have that we're and but we kind of went like yeah if we do have to do that that times 12 it's going to end up looking like, you know, the Michael Keaton Batman room where it's like the wicker guy. <laughs> and all that. And it's like, and it's not going to have a thing. I'm like, um, if this is really what you, if you're really trying to land the scene, it's the bring me the head of my enemy and put it on a pike. And it's a you know, very game of Thrones ish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just like hit people over the head of this is like, this is who this guy is. And, and initially the skulls weren't like plop in the middle of the room because kind of didn't make any sense. They were like along the borders, but that, you know, again, it became more of a, okay, we need to make this point very quickly. And this is the, you know, the scene. So we went, what are the most recognizable races, how we do it. And then I uh, worked with Neville page and he he's created the, the, the them and had them, um, I think combination of 3d printed and sculpted. And then we extrapolated that to the rest of the room um, where we had the weapons display. And it, and again, when I pitched the idea, they're like, oh, it, we don't want it to look like, you know, like the Avengers or, or a John Wick thing. I go, no, 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 it's not a, it's not a, I'm going to grab this gun and go kill someone. It's a, uh, so I, I sent them a scene from uh, the movie Wall Street uh, where, where Gordon Gecko was showing someone uh, his collection of, uh antique guns and he had a very he had them in these display cabinets with little things with little i'm like that's what we're doing so it's gonna be the history of weaponry in star trek which is a lot of great little easter eggs but also 
that we do have a lot of these in the archives. We did have a bunch of them in props. So we had, you know, we and or we could recreate them and it would be just a cool background for all these things to bring them all together. And then pepper in other different things like the World Razor um, uh, painting and the Born Slayer painting. And awesome. so it was good. I did notice as well that you included the um, the torchbearer armor from Discovery um, as one of the little suits of armor that yeah. came from that initial idea, which not everyone might have loved, but I really appreciate it as somebody who kind of likes that design. So, <laughs> I, I, it, it, when you st when you're standing, you cannot actually appreciate that piece unless you are standing in front of it. It is so intricate, so well done. It is beautiful and got so little screen time that it's criminal. And yes. Neville is just, uh, I mean, I was a huge fan of Neville's work before working on the show with it. So to see that and see that in person, and then it's just sitting there going, this, that's all you're going to, and I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, we have it. It's sitting there. It's free. Uh, put it in. It's like, <laughs> and especially since we were, we were already in the, we're in the thing of going, uh, you know, we're in the 25th century and we're creating armor. Uh, okay, great. There's a suit of armor. It's free. And, you know, so that was like one of the first things we grabbed. And then we pivoted to the skulls. But, uh, yeah, the, the, I think that, that they had the, the torchbearer in mind when they were um, coming up with the scene. And then we pivoted to the heads, which I think worked out really great. That's great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just about to say, I mean, obviously, you've given us a, a couple of teasers about season three. Uh, now that it's finished wrapping, are there any plans to move over to another show in the Trek universe? Is there anything that you're working on that, you know, as of this moment you can't talk about? Or, you know, by all means, give us an exclusive if you'd like. Uh, yeah, no, I'm actually <laughs> monumentally unemployed, uh, which is why I can do podcasts in the middle of the day. So lucky you guys. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I mean, I, I did move to Toronto where they shoot the other Star Trek shows, but uh, they I am not on their list of of designers at the moment so you know if that changes i, I uh, up to them so um again you know it i think that people um you know outside the business they they forget that you know for for artists like myself and and doug drexler and 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 mike akuda uh we have a passion for star trek uh and and design and everything but in the bigger picture um it's a job, and 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 I say that not in a yeah. uh, oh, it doesn't matter way. It's there's a person who has my job that is working on Strange New Worlds. There's a person who has my job that is working on Discovery. I want them to keep their jobs. I don't want yeah, them to lose their jobs. Uh, and and you know, so it's not that thing of going, oh, well, hire Dave Blass. It's like no, they have people, very talented individuals who are doing amazing work. Um, and I hope they continue to do amazing work. So if something doesn't work out or whatever, whatever, I, you know, I'd love to work on more Star Trek, of course. But, you know, it's that thing of it's not that easy. And, you know, when people say, oh, well, why didn't you hire Mike? Well, Mike was Mike Okuda was on another show. Doug was on another show. Um, and, you know, so it's not always possible to to get the dream team put together because everyone's doing other things, and other commitments and whatnot. So, um uh, you know, it's like, it, it, so it, it's challenging. Uh, and then also, it, you know, it's that thing of going, okay, well, if I take another job, uh, then Star Trek all of a sudden has someone available. It's like, well, do I leave that job and screw that relationship to jump on Star Trek? So 
Um, you know, for me working on Star Trek, you have to thank Marvel actually, because uh, I was doing a Marvel's uh, Ghost Rider, uh, and they pulled the plug on that, and then uh, I was able to, you know, um, a m- month later, got a call for from Picard. So, um, you know, had I been on Ghost Rider, I wouldn't have got the call from Picard, and there you go. So it's 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 a challenge making everything work, and then making everything work in between seasons as well, because uh, quite often. You know, you're on a show for six months uh, and then, you know, they go on hiatus, especially with all these streaming shows in the short seasons. Um, then they go on hiatus and then you got to go find another job. And if that job does not line up, then it's you know hard to come back and keep seasons going and whatnot. Yeah. But if the phone was to ring and they were kind of... I was going to ask uh, with regards to... Uh... Sorry, I was just... If the phone rings... Yeah, the phone rings. I got all my Star Trek books ready in a box ready to go. <laughs> just as if they say, like, you know, we're, we're launching the Section 31 show, the Starfleet Academy show, and we need a good production designer, maybe then uh, we can hopefully see your work in, on those, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's a thing. It's, it's poss- I, I would love to. Whether they want to work with me again, that's uh, that's up to them. Uh, you know, again, I think a lot of the industry is, is, is as much, uh, you're probably about 50% or 40% of, of the uh, the industry is your work. The other is your uh, how well you play with others and, and how yeah. people like working with you. So it's always a challenge. So, uh, you know, as I said, I just show up every day, try to do the best job I can and and, and, uh, and create the best version of whatever show I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. DK did actually have a question on Ghost Rider that you brought up, so I'll pass it over to I, you. Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously, you're involved in uh, the MCU working on that show before it were uh, the plug, plug was pulled, as you say. Can I ask how far into production development was, and do you have anything that you really wish the audience would have gotten to see with regards to that? I would, I, I would have loved them to see Gabriel Luna uh, portray the portray the character. I think he was a brilliant actor. I think he brought a lot to the show, uh, to the character. Uh, wonderful guy to work to, to just interact with, and and I just. I think that it would have been a very cool show. I don't know the politics or why or the hows and whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, we we were on it long enough that we planted corn and the corn went from a corn seed to a 10 foot corn stalk and then they pulled it oh, wow. Uh, so we were we were dangerously close to to starting to shoot. Um, yeah, and and again, there was just a lot. As I said, it's like anything else. A lot of politics. Uh, every everyone involved were, were really wonderful to work with. Marvel was great to work with. Uh, and I, again, it was the when it becomes a big Megillah like Marvel and Hulu and this and that and then with all these different. Uh, and that was right in the time when you know Marvel was pulling off of Netflix and it's. Again, there's a lot of lot of moving pieces in these bigger shows, and I think a lot of people are trying really hard to make things work, uh, but sometimes they don't. So again, uh, I wish we were able to do it, and I wish uh, Gabriel was able to to uh, to give his performance. I think it would have been amazing. I yeah. agree. I, I really loved um, Agents of Shield season four, and I especially loved Gabriel as, as Robbie. Um, I've actually got some pictures that I may put up on the podcast of um, when I meet a couple of the Agents of Shield guys at a convention, and I was wearing the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider jacket because I was obsessed <laughs> with that character for a while. But, oh yeah, no, I literally was sitting in the room right when right when they pulled the plug in. I walked through the room and I saw the jacket sitting there and going, "That is good." Uh, <laughs> they don't need it anymore. Um, <laughs> 
That's fair. <laughs> on, a, on a similar note to that, because obviously you've worked on a lot of kind of uh, geeky things that we obviously, there's, there's a little bit of overlap there as Star Trek fans with other things that are geeky. Uh, and I had a question about, you, you've mentioned you worked on the Constantine show, uh, yes. the Matt Ryan version. Um, I just have to know, um, as the production designer on that show, is it you or someone else that was responsible for placing a little Dr. Fate helmet Easter egg on one of the sets there? <laughs> Uh, that was that was done. Uh, pri that was in the pilot prior to me, so I did not have. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I did, so a lot a lot of times, uh, you know, with with designers that when they do the pilot, the first episode, one person does that and then hands it off to someone else. And I have uh, handed shows off before, like the boys. I did uh, the first season, and then handed that off. Uh, on Constantine, I didn't do the pilot. On Preacher, I didn't do the pilot. Um, I did the pilot for Quantico, but handed the show off. So it really, um, you know, they, they want different people to do different things. So it's uh, it really, uh, but we, we added a lot of things. Uh, but yeah, Constance changed one of my, one of my biggest regrets because that, but when the show got canceled, we had really finally gotten our, our legs on how to do it, how to, what, who the character was, what the, what, what we were doing with the show, because it, it started out in one way and then we went, and we, we we all just kind of got into a groove, and then they yanked it out from under us. And and mm -hmm. it was a much better show than the ratings gave us credit for. I think that Agreed. it had been on something like a Netflix or a, or something else, but net, on NBC at ten o'clock on a Friday night was just a good way to kill it. Yeah, yeah. as happened with Star Trek, actually, weirdly enough, bringing it yeah. full circle, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. DK, did you have any uh, other questions? <laughs> I was going to say uh, you've. Obviously, you've worked on quite a few uh, what people would term geeky projects, genre shows, comic books, sci-fi, that kind of thing. Is that something you're naturally drawn to, being a fan of Star Trek? Or is it by design, or is it kind of coincidence? I I, I would do it by design. By design. I mean, I, I that's those are the the fun type of projects. I've done uh, lots of different things. Uh, you know, people can look at my resume and whatnot. Things. You know, I did uh, Justified for uh, for six seasons, uh, yeah. five seasons something like that. Um, and that is completely opposite. It was, you know, it was gritty, dark, uh, small town America. Uh, I did Longmire. I did Rectify. So I, you know, I used to do a lot of cop and prison shows. Um, but yeah, I prefer to do high concept, cool design. I mean, cause who, who wouldn't, I mean, that's kind yeah. of, uh, but a lot of people don't, they like to do, you know, Victorian period pieces. They like to do, um, but also it, it comes in down to the thing. It's like, it's what you get hired to do. So, I mean, you know, when I was doing shows like, um, you know, like Justified, they're not going to pick up the phone and call me to do the, the you know, the boys because they're mm -hmm. like, yeah, you do gritty, you know, based in reality shows. We want, you know, high con. So it's, you really have to transition. And I think uh, one of the shows that helped me do that was Preacher because I got Preacher because, I could do the gritty Texas, you know, I'd done Longmire, I did uh, Justify. So Preacher was kind of an extension of that, but it had a bit of that comic book stuff in it. So, and also that was uh, my first project with uh, Seth Rogen and, and um, so, and and working with him. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, and um, so then they were able to bring me on to the boys, which, what you know, then made that, but I don't think without that that transition piece of the preacher, uh, it wouldn't have happened. So, um, you know, it, it, it's but also it's that thing of going, you know, you could do a lot of things, uh, 
but you know you can work on a ton of sci-fi shows and things of that nature and then you work on star trek but if you don't know star trek i mean it's like it's talking with you know someone on the crew they're like oh i've never watched star trek before i'm like you should it's great um yeah, exactly <laughs> uh but it's it's that thing of going just because you know this it's the passion you know and i as i told uh my team i said star trek is not a fantasy show it's a historical show with 60 years of history that you need to learn. Uh, I go, it, you know, doing a starship is, you know, our approach is going to be um, no different from doing, you know, a World War II period drama. If there's a, you know, a, a jet or a fighter or a thing, you would do research and find out what what planet is, how it flies, do all these different things that to, because it's history, it exists. Star Trek's the same thing. It's like all that history is out there. It's all been documented down to the nth degree, and your job is to research it. And it's like you know, get people, but like it's just it's made up. I'm like, but it's not. It's already been made up. So you yeah. need to figure out what it you know what all those details are. And that's the same thing you know when you're looking at Picard's chateau and all those Easter eggs. Well, they're not Easter eggs. They're creating a, a it's world building. It's like okay, here's this guy's chateau what would be in someone's house what would they keep from the past we all do things we all keep things from our family and the heirlooms and things like what are the heirlooms what can we show that we've seen in the past so that we show the passage of time but it's also that you know this man doesn't i mean based on his archives and everything we've seen he doesn't throw away the past he hold he holds on to these memories and that these are part of his life so it's like you know there's if you go back and you watch the the family episode, you know, we just went through and go, okay, pick that, pick that, pick. And like anything that was recognizable is in the, you know, there's a painting on the wall that uh, is next to the computer where he's in the family episode. We had the painting. Never saw it on the screen because it was on one of the walls. But I'm like, okay, it's there. And, you know, the we had the, uh, the plowman uh, plow sculpture redone. Because, you know, I had someone spend – two days online trying to find the sculpture and find out who, you know, a version of it or, or, or whatever. We couldn't find one. And the decorator was like, well, here's one that's kind of like it. I go, okay, but it's not the same one. So it's like, kind of like it. It's like, if you did it and it wasn't the same one and they point it out, it's going to actually make it worse because they're going to point it out and it's going to be the wrong one. And then you've got a very long way to, proving the point that you are it's like oh we don't actually care because it's not the actual i want the idea to be that is the same sculpture that his brother had in his house and he's kept it because it's been in the family for for centuries and you know so we literally had someone you know recarve it and redo it and you know made it a focal piece on the set yeah that's fair enough um, related to what you were saying, actually, in terms of uh, Picard not being a man who throws away uh, the past and stuff, um, I, I enjoy a lot of what I see on your Twitter feed, but one of the things that I appreciated the most is um, there's, there's nothing that you think is disposable. And so I noticed a tweet a few weeks ago where you'd, you'd rummage through the bins to find, just to save some stickers that were used on a set, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I really appreciated. Um, I was just curious, is there anything like you've saved from the rubbish, as it were, that you, you're most proud of having in your house now that would have just been trashed? Oh, it's it's oh, it was so incredibly horrible. Uh, I just moved from Los Angeles to Toronto, uh, and for all your viewers out there, don't ever do that uh, because <laughs> you're moving from a different. And I again, I don't know where uh, around the world is probably somewhat different, but in the United States and Canada, everything has to go through customs. 
So everything has a value. Everything has a oh, it's 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 a nightmare. So and then also with the cost of fuel and everything, everything costs a billion dollars. So uh, the answer is no. Uh, I did not. There was so many things I wanted to save, but I, in the same moment I was throwing tons of stuff out or selling it because I couldn't afford to to ship it across the, the across the country and and, it, and out of the country. So. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those things. I'm like, oh, I want it, like a, you know doors or something. I'm like, oh my god, I, I, I can make a headboard out of a bed for that. And, um, <laughs> but I know I worked with uh, you know the and also you know to be fair uh, and the auction thing, everything is an asset now. Everything the you know it's mm. like we have lawyers and people going around yeah. grabbing every so like the 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 stickers were you know something I, I was like oh okay peel, peel those off and but also that was when I was trying to. Uh, let my crew know okay when we're going from federation to confederation or back and forth we can't screw up we can't have a sticker show up in the confederation thing that has the federation logo on it so i was literally going through peeling stuff off myself to make sure that it didn't end up in the show and in fact one sticker from the federation did end up in the confederation time i'm like ah uh but you know stuff like that but i just remember sneaking when uh, back in the not early nineties, I was sneaking onto one of the Star Trek sets or, or like, I think I may have been like in one of the, uh, prop houses, they had a, a piece, but I stole one of the, uh, the, the, the uh, capsule stickers off it and I kept it. I still have it. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm still stealing stickers off of Star Trek set. Fair enough. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. DK, did you just want to ask the last question then? And then we'll, uh, we'll get ready yeah. to give us this time back. Yeah, no problem. I was just going to ask, uh, looking back on your career so far, is there anything that you've been most proud of? And going forward, is if the sky, you know, if the sky was the limit and you had, and you could pick any project that you wanted to work on, what would it be? Uh, what am I most proud of? Uh, the Stargazer. I, I, you know, it's it's that thing. Did I hit it exactly? No, but I kind of. I mean, it was it was that thing of going. Given all of the things in flux with the pandemic and everything. Uh, I think the exterior Stargazer is exactly how I would want to design it. I think uh, getting to collaborate with with Doug and and, uh, and John was just amazing. The interior uh, of the ship uh, was just it was really good. I you know again I think that a lot of shows when you when you watch them you know, a good example of that would be like Battlestar Galactica. If you watch the pilot of Galactica. The, the walls and everything were very much brighter and you can see in between the pilot and the, the mini series and the series they darkened everything they had a chance to kind of course correct i would have gone a little bit brighter on the walls in the stargazer bridge and things like that so you uh, in season three when you see starships you'll see a little bit brighter um but i think you know that's probably the mo thing i'm most proud of because again you know i started out as a as a kid in a little town in massachusetts and said you know, to my uh, family and friends, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to make Star Trek. And they're like, you're an idiot. Uh, and I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And they're like, okay, well, maybe you should be a little bit more realistic. Uh, and I said, no, I'm going to design a starship. That's not realistic. That's <laughs> um, but it was that thing of going, you know, when I set out on this quest, you know, going back uh, some 45 years, uh, there had been three people who had designed uh ship been the production designer on star trek you know going back to the original the original series because you know, that was pre 
you know, I was in, a, I was already in college at Emerson College when Star Trek: The Next Generation came out. So there, you had had the movies, you had had, you know, start, you know, and then you had the original series. So it's like this was not an attainable goal. I mean, it was not a logical thing to set out. I'm going to go do the, something that only three or four people had ever done, um, mm-hmm. and then to actually be able to do it and and to have the stars align and, you know have Marvel's show shut down and be able to, to jump in and take over Picard and to do all that. And then to, to, to sit there, I, I would have to say that the stargazer is it. And then like, I would have to very often check myself because I've been doing this for so long, but it'd be like, Oh my God, I'm on star Trek. And I would say <laughs> the biggest time was watching Patrick Stewart. I'm going to say actually watching Jean-Luc Picard give his speech at Starfleet because I'm sitting there oh, running wow. around million things to go and he gets up there and he's doing his speech and i am 30 feet i'm like right behind elnor and i had to like just stop and and he just he did the whole speech right through and i'm like sitting there going stop focus (laughs) take it in the moment you're at starfleet academy that's jean-luc picard he's delivering the speech and you are actually at starfleet command you know, start Starfleet Academy. Yeah, and like just sitting wow. there, like, tears watching it, and and then that, and watching the the final scene with uh, Picard and Q, um, and I'm five feet away from John Delancey when he reaches down and, and he just he just he just looks to Patrick and he goes, "I, I want to take your your face in my hands," and I'm just like <laughs> dying, like oh my god, I can't believe. It. <laughs> And it was, I'm like, yes. It's like just watching these two actors play this scene, and it was just like, oh my god, just uh, so yeah. I mean, how do you not, you know, it, from the little kid who grew up watching Star Trek? I mean, I literally had the the Star Trek PlayStation that you spun it around and hit the transporter room, and it's like, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, nothing's going to top that. So that's why I said to my wife, I, because uh, we we were supposed to move up to Toronto in 2020 and it, so it's been and uh it, we were supposed to be done with star trek by the uh the uh 2021 so uh you know i said to her i said you know everything past this is is gravy i mean it's like you to sit there and say you know this was my my life's goal and how many people get to say my goal was to do something beyond possibility and i did it stamp done and you go now you can do anything and it's like if, you know on my dying my dying thing i'm like yeah i did what i said to, set out to do and it you know it only took you know 50 years um but you did it and it's like how how cool is that so um yeah so we with people that's why i'm like if people like what i did that's awesome if people inspires it people if you know if you didn't like what what i did i mean i i can't write the scripts i don't do that if you like my starships if you thought that they were cool if you look at that star games and go yeah, that looks like that's being the same fleet as the enterprise e and and this stuff and this all works then I did my job and, you know, and I can rest easy. So, but, you know, now it's on to the next adventure. Would I like to do more Star Trek? Sure. What, you know, uh, uh, Star Trek feature or something, but, uh, you know, the, the world's uh, open to possibilities. Well, fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Again, I, I would kick myself if I didn't ask. So just one last thing before you go, then is there oh, any no. other kind of spoiler free teasers you can give us for season three? Might we see another ship that we haven't seen yet? Maybe. 
Oh, uh, more. Yeah, you're going to see a, a ton of ships you haven't seen yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we, literally, we. So, yeah. So, we. Uh, so, by season three, I had Mike Akuda full time, Doug Drexler full time, uh, John Eads full time, uh, Jim Martin full time. So, we, we just literally. There's. Season three is the, is is amazing. Uh, it's like there's like at least one episode where I watched it, watched it having worked on the show. It's like, damn, that was good. That was like, yeah, it's like, you know. So again, I think Terry uh, was the perfect man for the job. He did. He and his writers did a phenomenal thing, and he every day would push the limits of what we could do. And he's like, no, we got to do better. We got to do this, and and just you know, and and the. She's seeing the, the cast back together again and, and just, you know, it's like the, the, you know, being on set with these people on a, on a daily basis. It's like, it was just phenomenal. So again, it's not a, you know, and I think Terry's already said this. It's like, these aren't cameos, uh, mm, you know, good. It, <laughs> this is the thing. but uh, yeah, I think, and also, uh, but I, Terry did tweet the other day because someone asked, um, he tweeted something about uh, some interior ship or some detail, and uh, they said, "Oh, the, so this is this, this." Oh, he tweeted something about a video uh, about him and uh, Doug sitting in the chairs, uh, and someone said, "Oh, the Stargazer." And he goes, that, "That's not the Stargazer." So I can, you know, he's already confirmed that there there will be another hero ship for season three, and it's not the Stargazer. Yeah. I think I think that we all know what we hope that to be, but I don't want to get you into any trouble. But I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> well, I, I can't. Here, here's the thing, and I and I'll, I will tweet it, and um, I'm going to explain. I am going to preemptively mention to people uh, my friendly. I love the Miranda class uh, ships personally, and uh, mm -hmm. for anyone who knows the Miranda class, every bridge on the Miranda class that they've done has always looked different. So I get to pull out the canon explanation of the bridge module and how the bridge module, <laughs> uh, these are designed to bang, bang yes. and go from one ship. And sometimes they look the same. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Uh. So, so it's like, you know, when people are like, oh, that looks like it. I go, well, you know what? Bridge modules, you know, there's a lot of them. So sometimes nice. they look completely different. Sometimes they look very similar. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so that, that may be why. But we, we shot season two and we ended on a friday and we sh started shooting season three on a monday so there was absolutely no time in between certain seasons so uh, our our, uh, our visuals are uh, unique but I, I i think the fans are, i have no idea when it's going to hit but i do know the fans are going to love it i uh, will be keeping an eye on your twitter page uh, closer to the time as well for more Definitely. Uh, awesome shares and stuff then because uh really appreciate <laughs> yeah terry shares what i get yelled at so he, he he's, he's <laughs> they're, they're like dude you know after that that first episode you know the pr people are like uh you're oversharing and i'm like <laughs> Well, we appreciate it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Keep the fans happy, you know. Uh, yeah. No, we were we were very happy with your work. And I mean, I know that obviously working on Trek would be the reward within itself. But for what it's worth, I, I really loved your work, particularly in Series 2 of Picard. It was so good for me seeing, yeah. like you said, the world building of all those familiar ships, seeing the online ships and even things like a new version of an Excelsior or whatever. It was uh, it was very much appreciated. And uh, I can't wait for Series 3. So yeah, um, season, uh, Series 3, the, yeah, it's... So for people like, are, are there going to be new ships? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> so, awesome. so uh, yeah. So uh, and people will not be disappointed in in the ship porn category. 
Nice, like it. Well, um, I'm going to let you go and get on with the rest of your day. But is there anything you wanted to, to quickly plug before we let no, you go? No, just thank you again for uh, for uh, for supporting the show, and uh, we hope to uh, see you all soon. No problem whatsoever. And uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Truly, was a, it was an honor and a privilege to have you here. So thanks again. Thank you for giving hey, us your time, Mister uh, Blast. Thank you. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Wow, so yeah, that was quite a big uh, first interview for the channel, so I think we got quite a bit out of Mr. Blast there, and uh, I think I speak for the whole audience when I say we're even more hyped for Series 3 of Picard now, but uh, again, we loved we loved Series 2, didn't we, uh, the, the cool uh, production design, so thanks again so much uh, to Dave Blast for joining us. If you aren't following him on Twitter, you really should be, because believe me, he, as he mentioned, he overshares. <laughs> You'll see a lot yes. of cool stuff, especially if you're a bit of a, a geek or a nerd like us, and uh, that's just at Dave Blast, I believe, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed that we do get that, uh, that Art of Picard book that you were talking about, DK. Definitely. I've, I've, just from his uh, the, what he shared on his, on his Twitter, some mm. of the artwork is just beautiful. It would be amazing to see that in book form. It's amazing. Plus, it's just seeing somebody who's got such a clear passion for the show. It's it's, it's a really cool thing to see. So, yeah, definitely. Um... I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have kind of brought it up with him. But as as a player of Star Trek Online, you felt kind of embraced, like you were actually part of the show. And yeah. I, I really appreciate him doing that, reaching out to uh, to the designers yes. behind the game. Well, everyone, yeah. I mean, like like you said, bringing back the likes of uh, of Michael Kuda and Drexler and stuff that had been left behind, not through anything vindictive, but just because they were in the past. And like you said, just having the common sense to be like, we can just ask them back, you know. So, yeah. it's, it's nice to meet someone that uh, you know is not afraid to draw from those that have gone before him. Really, yeah, well, really and like, it's yeah. vital, like he says, it's a visual language, and you've got to know how to design a ship. If you draw it, you've got to know, you know, does it have nacelles? Where are the basard collectors? Where's, like he said, where's the phaser strips? Where's the yeah. observation lounge, the bridge? And yeah, awesome. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I very much appreciate it. I'm still on a bit of a, a high after that, but uh, very, as I said, very grateful that uh, that was our first interview because that was an awesome one. And I hopefully uh, we've got a few people listening because I think they'd, be, uh, they'd, they'd enjoy a lot of the things we. Uh, we got out of uh, Mr. Mr. Blast there, so yeah. awesome. Uh, well, as I say, this uh, has been just a random special that we were able to manage to book, but hopefully we might be able to get a few more interviews. Uh, just So just keep a yeah. lookout. Uh, you can always find us at Hometrek, that's H-O-M-Trek on Twitter. We are Hit or Miss Star Trek on Instagram or Hit or Miss Star Trek group on Facebook. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, we also have a sister pod, uh, a sister podcast called the Silver Screen Podcast, where we review just all things uh, film and general movies, uh, and that can be found at podcast underscore screen on Twitter, Silver Screen Podcast on Instagram and Facebook groups, and you can find both podcasts under Mike's podcast feed everywhere that you get audio podcasts. So that's like Stitcher and. Um, Google Podcasts, Shizzle. Apple Podcasts, Shizzle and Dizzles, <laughs> as, I, as I brought up, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to be funny during the silver screen recording. So, uh, yeah, if, if it's got a name and it's a podcast place, you can probably find us there on audio and uh, you may be listening to this there. So if so, hello. Uh, do stay tuned to the podcast channel, like I said, for any kind of upcoming treats and uh, do be aware that, yes, we are coming back with a proper third series of the podcast where we'll be doing reviews of themed episodes. Uh, as mentioned previously with Little Fanfare, that'll be a time travel theme. But uh, yeah, otherwise you um, can find me, um, I'm personally at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter or just my name in most other social media places. Uh, DK, where, where can people find you other than our... It's uh, AK Starlord, but uh, I was going to say, hopefully we'll have some more surprises coming up in the uh, the next series of Hit or Miss as well, so... Yes, indeed. We, uh, we're growing as a podcast and we're hoping to have 
uh, some some new surprises and some some treats, both small and big, hopefully for you. So if you like this interview, please rate us well, uh, like, comment, share, subscribe, rate five stars, all that jazz, and uh, keep on enjoying Star Trek. Uh, and I will be heading off now. Do uh, do keep uh, tuned to these channels that we are always on. And uh, in the meantime, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.